We're looking at these famous phrases, and I'm going to try and get through this in relative uh, speed so that we can spend some time dwelling on it during communion. Um, there's a phrase in the Bible, and we'll read where it comes from in, in just a bit, which simply says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's a big one. It's a big one because it's actually linked to, I believe, a very key thing to keeping the Holy Spirit very close to your life. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. When we read it in the Bible, in just a second, you'll see what I mean about the link. Now, what we do know is that uh, the Holy Spirit is extremely sensitive. And it says in the Bible to not grieve God's Holy Spirit. Now, I believe, as a believer, you give your life to Christ, you receive power from God to live your life as a Christian. You receive the Holy Spirit. But I do believe there's greater depths of anointing and presence that you can have in your life. And it's evidenced, I believe, through Scripture. Like in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes on his mega uh, self-discipline moment where he goes and prays and fasts in the desert. And it says he goes into the desert. So check this out later. In Luke chapter 4, it says Jesus goes into the desert full of the Holy Spirit. When he comes out of the desert after praying and fasting for 40 days and defeating the devil, who tries to tempt him in every single way, he actually says he comes out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. The word being dunamis, which means miracle working power, which implies to me there was a change. Now, I don't know about you, but if there is any potential to keep God closer than he might already be, or to draw more from his power and strength, or to have greater wisdom and understanding, or more of a sense of anointing of power in my life, I want to find it. And I'll pursue it, because I need it. You know, not because I'm, I'm do, preaching around the country for a living and leading RK, Actually, if there's a relationship with my Father in heaven that can go deeper, greater, further, and more exciting, I kind of want that, don't you? I mean, it kind of be a bit weird if you said you didn't really. Uh, and I know I'm forcing you to say yes by asking a question in such a way. But I do think if that's a thing, let's have it in our lives. And I think there's a key here in Scripture. So let me read this, and uh, we'll, we'll try and dig into it. I'm going to try and keep this very bullet point focused. And then we'll move into communion. Ephesians 4, verse 29. And I'm, I'm reading this from the NIV version. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And then there's a follow-up. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In my preferred version, ladies and gentlemen, of the NASB, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk proceed out of your mouth. Which I, I like that, because it means you can kind of stop it. You know when you're about to like throw something at someone, have you ever felt like that? And you can stop it though, can't you? Or not. So you can snatch your words back, don't let it proceed, stop it. You may have had a thought, don't let it come out. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And then it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So there's a definite link here. Let me put this in an Essex way. I've been a little bit gobby and out of order and grieving the Holy Spirit, which is very serious. 
get rid, oh, sorry, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, if I'm honest, I think probably many of us, if not all of us, could struggle at times with bitterness, rage, and anger. I've not seen many fights kick off in the church yet. I have actually planted a church before where there are regular punch-ups out the back on a council estate near Essex, or in Essex. That made home groups very interesting. We actually have, you know, I don't mind a bit of a debate in the home group, but when you have a debate in the home group and someone gets up and punches someone else in the face, that's, then you know you're on the edges of an interesting church plant. That, that has actually happened to me. Very intriguing. I remember thinking, this is, this is a bit sporty. And slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I think the easiest way for us to look at this is to actually ask, uh, what is... uh, wholesome talk well I don't talk about what all the negatives are because you know we could sit and say swearing this and you know let's actually talk a little bit about uh, what wholesome talk is and and I think this too applies very much uh, online as well as offline these days online is 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 in social media is extremely toxic now because you can be a keyboard warrior and hide behind a screen and fire stuff off that can almost sometimes irreparably damage people or escalate rails where they didn't need to go. So you need to translate. I've got time to go into everything this morning because we're taking communion. But you need to translate what I'm saying also to social media, online, and in particular, your emails. Now, emails to me, in an increasingly complex world... Uh, emails to me are information transfer. Emails can be terse or blunt, that's fine, as long as it's information transfer. Um, Blunt and rude, no. Or offensive, or knocking people down, no. I mean, sometimes we need to send documents and stuff by email, but mostly I would say stick to information transfer. If someone sends you a very sporty email, which is uh, extremely hurtful and spiteful, uh, go and see them or pick up the phone or something. It just, you know, we all do it, and we've all done it, but it just escalates beyond a joke, and so it's not worth it. Words are powerful, and in my view, words can bring life or death. Uh, Let me read this from the book of James, who's really uh, masterful when it comes to the whole issue of the tongue. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, it says in James, this is James chapter 3, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is in itself set on fire by hell. 
All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And what it's simply saying is this. It's very easy, isn't it? Your mouth, your tongue can say things that can actually destroy people. And one small word to the wrong person at the right time or wrong time can actually make someone go into a downward spiral. It's very hard for them to get out of. Karen and I have ministered to dozens and dozens and dozens of people over the years who have been so damaged by the things that people have said to them or things that have been written down. It's almost akin to cursing someone. And we've actually ministered to people for, have come under profound demonic influence or, or, or like uh, psychological influence because of the things that have been said to them. We stood by a climbing frame, Karen and I once, in centre parks many years ago where a dad was watching his kids climb up a climbing frame. Now, most, most people watching their kids climb up a climb frame are going like, go on, yes, yeah, it, put your foot there, oh, hold on, you'll be all right, dad's got you, put the next one up there. This bloke was going, what are you doing here like that for? That's rubbish. Oh, don't put your foot there. Why are you doing that like that? No, no, that's stupid, you're stupid. What he stood there and thought, you have no idea what you're doing to your kids. Just that, that constant discouragement. It could be that you have said to something at school like, you will never amount to anything. And it either spurred you on to greatness or kept you down for the rest of your life. Or you've got an ungodly fueled ambition because you want to prove the world wrong. Could be told you were told you never wanted. You were an accident. Ha, ha, ha. No, it's not ha, ha, ha. That can, that can so hurt people. And so if you're, without going into great detail about that, if you're sitting there this morning and these things have been said over your life, then we would love to simply begin that process of bringing that gently before the Lord and see if we can see some freedom come. There will be those of you sitting here today, even now as I've said that, who are remembering things that have been said to you. Uh, I've had a few of those things over the years. And, and God has really blessed me and freed me from them. Even a tiny little thing, like I'm left-handed. Actually, I'm ambidextrous. I can write with the other hand if I really concentrate, but I'm a bit mixed up. I can use both, but I write predominantly with my left hand. And when you were trained in school to write, you used to have to use a fountain pen. As soon as you went into what they used to properly call the first year seniors, not this weird year seven rubbish, back in the old days. And, and I used to have to write like this. Because if you're right-handed and you write, you don't smudge. If you're left-handed with a fountain pen, you put your hand over it. So you either have to, you have to find creative ways. So I was the last person in my class 
to be allowed to use a fountain pen. Because I had to write, and even now you're right. Actually, Karen said this morning, she went, look at Dad writing all left-handed like a weirdo. Which is all right, because I'm 47 now, nearly. It was quite funny, actually, because I was trying to balance my book when I was all like this. But I was the last person in school. And, and honestly, I'm actually quite a robust person. But they all used to laugh at me at school. And for ages, I used to try and hide myself the way I was writing. Or, you know, the crab hand and all this sort of stuff, and smudgy. And, or one time, the teacher got my book and went in front of everyone. She went, look how untidy and messy you are, and just slammed it down. These are back in the days when, I mean, teachers are brilliant now, aren't they? Uh, but that was back in the days when you used to chuck a bald rubber at your head for smiling, you know. Uh, so it's a bit, it's a bit different. Um, so what I'm saying is, if that's, if that's something uh, you've experienced, we'd love to pray of you. Moving on, um, the key point in that is, don't be one of those people who dishes that stuff out. You know, don't, don't, don't be one of those people. Don't let damaging words come out of your mouth. No, no matter, unless it needs to be a very, you know, there's a difference in critique and cruelty. You know, sometimes we need to be very honest to, to, to get an issue dealt with. But there's a difference between that and being cruel. You know, don't be cruel with your words. So here's the thing that I keep saying to people all the time. When you are confronted with issues, or you hear things that have been said about you, even, um, and you want to retaliate, believe the best. Give the benefit of the doubt in all situations. Don't jump to the negative conclusion first. Don't deal in hearsay in this church or anywhere else. Deal in facts. So, for instance, if someone says, didn't you hear that, you know, I'm going to pick on Mike, he's down his, his like, co-conspirator on the leadership team, and I know it don't happen, so I can pick on him. Mike comes up to me and goes, yeah, it means you, you heard about, uh. actually you wouldn't say that even like that, yeah, mate, would you? And you get, uh, hello, Carl. Uh, did you? Did you? So, did you know that um, such and such said this? And I go, no, who said that? Well, Margaret said. Where did she get it from? Janet. Janet said that Margaret said that. I said, and now I'm telling you. And then I think, and they said that about you. Like, that's three people ago that they heard someone said something about me. Do you know what I do when I hear that someone said something about me and it was like there was a chain of three, four people? No, I do. Totally ignore it. Not worth it. It's hearsay. It's just, it just fuels problems. Don't deal in hearsay. Deal in facts. It's just very, very easy and keeps things clean just to be like that. The foundation of this, of course, is Jesus saying, let your yes and your no be no. Uh, let's be a straight-talking church. If you have a problem with someone, uh, deal with it in a very straight way. I also believe another foundation for this, of keeping wholesome, is to be defined by optimism and not cynicism. <coughs> Followers of Christ are known by their extreme optimism and not their cynicism. We are characterised by optimistic hope because we know that one day we're going to snuff it and then be in heaven. How much more optimistic can you get than that? It's all going to work out all right in the end. Like that song, uh, you know, the, it was Bethel, was it? Was that the Bethel version? Who ripped it off from Horatio Gates Spafford? 
the old version, I love, I do like that one too, it's very moving. But as soon as I start singing it as well with my soul, I get a little bit, a little bit of a strange thing in my eye, like moisture. Don't know where it comes from, but I feel quite emotional when I sing it's well with my soul, because it is. Like it keeps us with optimistic hope. Do you know how I know when my enemy, the devil, is attacking my soul? When I start to get cynical. Cynicism is straight out of the pit of hell. Realism is okay. Cynicism, which turns to moaning, is not wholesome talk. I know when the enemy's getting to me, when I start to get cynical about people and places. I think we need to understand that wholesome talk starts in the heart. And I can't do this job or I can't lead anything unless I believe that every situation is redeemable and every negative can be turned to a positive. It is the foundation for a peace-filled Christian life. Everyone is winnable. Every situation is redeemable. Every negative can be turned to a positive. If that is deep in your heart, you won't start being a miserable, bitter cynic. Because bitter cynics are actually quite miserable people. And you won't be one of those. If you keep optimism in your heart, you'll be characterised by joy. And this church will be characterised by joy. We actually want this as a cultural characteristic of Redeemer King. You are filled with a sense of optimistic hope. Now, I know, and I always try and add a caveat when we're talking about things like this, that there'll be people here struggling with issues of depression, anxiety, and these are very, very real, and it's very, very hard to feel optimistic hope. This, in those situations, what I'm talking about here is a general characteristic of your life. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you keep optimistic hope generally as a characteristic, I know there can be situations where it's very difficult. Uh, we will see this church be characterised by joy. And I think also a deep sense that God is working stuff out. I've been this week in Wigan, Dorkin, Swindon, Western Supermare, uh, uh, St Q Highway, Truro and St Austell and back at home. And every single place I've been, I've seen two things. I've seen God doing the most remarkable and incredible things amongst his people. And I've also seen people who are in serious crisis. But in every one of those situations, you know what I've thought? God is working it out. He's working it out. It's going to be all right. I know we've read the last page and we know that deep down, but God is going to work it out. Keep your heart very, very positive in those situations. Here's some bullet point tips. Number one, may your words be characterised by this. Speak faith and life over people, places and things. Not death. Like financially as a church, you know, it's probably going to cost several billion pounds to be able to do up this, well, maybe, maybe nearly a million. But it's going to cost a lot of money ultimately to bring the building to where we want it to be as a legacy piece to bless our future generations at Redeemer King. Let me let you into a little clue here. We can buy the building. We can't quite do a million pound refurb yet. And you have two choices. I'm only picking on this example because it's, it's the relevant one to us at the moment. There'll be loads of situations in life and work where it's like this. We can either approach it by saying it's insurmountable, it's a complete nightmare, how on earth are we going to do that? 
Well, look, I've been leading ministries for 23 years. I'll give you a clue. I've never had enough money when I started anything. Ever. I mean, like, I, I, I've been in million-pound visions before. I've got 50 quid in the bank. You never got the money at the start. But you can have the faith at the start. You can speak life over it in the start. Don't be, don't be overcome by the problem. Be overcome by your faith in Christ. So speak life. Have faith for the finances. Have faith for what God's doing. Like we've started working now with low edges. It's a tough patch. It's one of the most deprived estates in the country. I don't start with the problem. I'm looking at these beautiful people here thinking, it's going to be amazing. Speak life over it. What can we do? How's it going to happen? Oh, we could do that. Then you speak faith and you speak hope and you speak life. But that applies to your family, your kids, your workplace, everywhere. Second question to ask, am I being a blessing? Are my words blessing people or are they cursing people? Don't escalate rows online. Don't think, I want to get my point in. Be a blessing. Be a blessing to the people you see volunteering in the church. Cheer them on. Uh, most Sundays when I'm here, and not just because I'm wearing a leader hat, if I, I'll go over and say thanks to the teams or thanks to those people and thanks to those people because I want to be a blessing. Now I get a lift somewhere, I'll say thank you. That's just manners. I want to be a blessing. Like, just be a blessing. May your default position be saying really nice things to people. They're really simple, isn't it? Say some really nice things to people. Because a lot of the time we don't. You get stuck in a queue, say at Tesco or Audi. No, you don't get stuck in queues at Audi, do you? Because they move at 80 miles an hour. It's all a little bit, I feel well stressed. I'm not quick enough. But if you go, to, <laughs> they're all on timers, aren't they? Uh, anyway, if you, um, I always feel like I'm letting everyone down when I go into those situations. But if, you, um, if you're in a queue, the default position is you're going to get a bit shirty with a cashier. It's not wholesome talk. Be a blessing. Because they're under pressure, aren't they? If someone carves you up in the car, big deal. It's a car. Right? Well, you get so precious about one car parking position. Or like, you know, I had someone, I actually had an old granny type person totally carve me up in Truro this week. And actually it was quite funny. I thought I'd just been done over. I've been done over by someone with a blue rinse. I can't believe it. Don't matter, does it? Be a blessing. I mean, I've been involved in a few car crashes. I always go out and apologise and say something funny. Just be a blessing. Number three, am I building up the body of the church? Or am I sneaking around the back moaning? Am I moaning about stuff? Or am I speaking life over it? Am I being critical or critiquing? Critiquing's all right because we want to be better. Critical always goes like... Mm. And, we, and I'll let you into a little secret. That, mm, 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 don't like that. Mm, mm, mm. I'll tell you what I think about that. Don't like it. And it makes me go into bouncer mode. I don't like it. Because I think it's ungodly. Critique. Here's the thing. I've got this, got this thing. I've seen this is happening. 
and I think we could do like this and it would be awesome. Or like, like when you said that, it didn't quite work out. And, and uh, you know, you could have put it like this. That's critique. That's called pursuing excellence. Whinging is always said in that, like critiquing in a negative, critical way always sounds different in my head anyway. That's how I hear that. You do that, that's how I hear you speaking. <laughs> so don't do it. Build the body up. Am I being thankful? Am I being thankful in all circumstances? I'm going to hop around a bit um, because I want to read you this. Second book recommendation, ladies and gentlemen, in one day. Two, another thin book. Tell my publisher describes me as a serial writer of extremely thin paperbacks. Uh, <laughs> I haven't got much else going for. I can do thin ones. Right, let me read you this. This was a book called Prison to Praise by Merlin Carruthers. It's a Christian classic. If you're new to the faith, or you've not been coming here very long, there's a bunch of you new in on all this stuff. These are the books that, you know, this book, Game Changer. I've had to order a new copy because I keep giving them away. I love giving good books away to people. He discovered the principle of being thankful and giving praise in all circumstances. This is, he, became an army, he was in prison and he became an army chaplain. One army wife came to me with a problem. She was convinced but had but one solution. Her husband had developed an excessive drinking problem for the past several years had been an alcoholic. Often he would pass out drunk on the living room floor where his wife or teenage children would find him stark naked. In this condition, he'd also been found in the hallway of the apartment house where several other families lived. Quite embarrassing. It's not meant to be funny, Ann Taylor. Potentially amusing. In final desperation, the wife decided to take the children and leave. And friends persuaded her to at least come to talk to me first. Whatever you say, chaplain, don't tell me to stay with them. She said, I just can't do it. I don't really care whether you stay with him or not, I said. I just want you to thank God for your husband. He was an evangelist, not a pastor. It was quite a harsh response, isn't it? <laughs> but anyway. Carefully, I explained what the Bible had to say about thanking God for all things, and that if she tried it, God would be able to solve her problem in the best way. She thought it sounded ridiculous, but finally agreed to kneel while I prayed that God would release her in enough faith to believe that he is a God of love and power who holds the universe in his hand. Just an aside before I carry on. How many of you ever kneel before the Lord? It's a beautiful thing to do in your, if you can still kneel. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to do in your own personal devotional times. To humbly kneel before the Lord. Just rest your head somewhere on the bed or something and say, here I am. Kneel, kneel before a sovereign God. It's a beautiful thing to do, actually. It's a humble thing to do. I prayed that God would release me enough faith to believe that he is a God of love and power who holds the universe in his hand. At last he said, well, I could try and do it. Two weeks later I called her. I feel absolutely marvellous, she said. My husband is a different man. He hasn't had a drink in two weeks. That's wonderful, I said. I'd like to talk to him. What do you mean? She sounded surprised. I just think it would be good if I talked to your husband about the power that's working in, in your lives. Didn't you tell him already? She sounded puzzled. No, I haven't met him yet. Chaplain, this is a miracle, she cried out. 
The day I was in your office, he came home from work and for the first time in seven years, he didn't go to the refrigerator for a beer. He stayed in went into the living room and talked to the children. I was sure you'd talk to him. Our prayer of praise had released God's power to work in another person's life. The wife was overly crying, op openly crying over the telephone. Praise God, chaplain, she sobbed. Now I know God works out every detail of our lives. There is a reason why Ephesians 4 says don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth because the power of thankful talk is spiritually awesome. You know, I've often said to people after I read that Crothers book for the first time, you know, is there anything you can find God to thank for your wife or husband or your boss who's bullying you? Is there anything thankful you, you can do? Anything you can praise, any praise you can give? In that other book that I recommended to you um, uh, by McGraven, he has a brilliant quote. Um, uh, William H. McGraven, he says, uh, the time to start singing is when you're up to your neck in mud. Because they do a seal thing where basically you nearly die. <laughs> where they put you in mud up to your neck and then spray you with ice cold hoses for like a month. And then everyone nearly dies. And he said that the groups that get through start group singing. No, it's actually a spiritual principle. The time to start singing is when you're up to your neck in trouble. Like Paul and Silas in prison in Acts 16 where they've been whipped and flogged within an inch of their lives beaten half to death and they're in prison and do you know what they did? It says Paul and Silas started to praise the Lord. They were singing hymns to one another. And then an angel appears and sets them free. Look it up later in Acts. The time to worship is when you're in the soup. Don't just worship when things are feeling great. Worship at all times. A couple of quick points we're going to move into communion. Don't form triangles. It's a practical trip and tip. And what I mean is this. Anne has a problem with me. So Anne tells Janet. And Janet tells me that Anne's got a problem with me. That's a triangle. Uh, that, that, it starts to get complicated and words get twisted and start to become unwholesome. Or the triangles start forming all over the church. If you have an issue with someone... Go and talk to them, one-to-one. -one. It's the principle of Matthew 18. It's just a way of keeping things very, very clean in the church. Ask yourself, am I a cheerleader in the church? Not like one of those American ones, like blokes. Don't worry about it. I'm not telling you to put on a miniskirt and start backflipping, <laughs> which is actually the most dangerous sport in the world. Did you know that? <laughs> Technically. Are you a cheerleader? Do you thank people? Do you write little cards to people? Do you cheer people on when you see them? Do you cheer your kids on? Do you cheer one another on? Do you cheer your husband or, husband or wife? Do you cheer each other on after their day at work? Are you a cheerleader or are you a little bit of a moaner? Unwholesome talk? No. Be a cheerleader at home and at work. Even people you don't actually appreciate. Because you'll thank your way to appreciating them. As best you can. Find one thing that you can do. Things to kill, very briefly. Bitterness. It says in Ephesians 4, don't be bitter. Kill off bitterness. Bitterness starts as a little seed in the heart. I've seen people experience physical healing by forgiving people. I haven't got time to go into it. It's a sermon all of itself. It's a well-known saying, don't give free rent space in your head to someone you feel bitter about. They're not thinking about you, but you're thinking about them all the time. Forgive them. Move on. Let it go. Rage. 
you're a rager, you're a bit of a shouter, stomping around a little bit, stop it. Don't do that. Be a person of peace. Ask God to give you a heart of peace. If you find yourself raging, walk away. Just, just get a grip on the tongue and walk away. We don't brawl here much, so we won't talk a bit much about that. Don't judge people. Be kind and compassionate. Broken people are coming in increasingly into our church. Don't judge people. It'll just lead to unwholesome talk and unwholesome thoughts. Just love people. Walk a mile in another person's shoe first. I'll finish with this. I'll never forget the Mother Teresa story. I might have mentioned it before a year or so ago, where the Sisters of Mercy found out were given a gold embossed cloth for the poor. And they said, Mother Teresa, we could sell this and we could, we could give money to the poor for two years. And she said, no, 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 no. No, no, we use it as a gold embossed altar cloth. I mean, but why? It's an extravagance. She said, no, everyone needs something beautiful to look at. And I remember when I first started visiting people who were in desperately broken scenarios and they'd have a 52-inch plasma screen and no carpet and no food. And everyone's going, oh, why they got that? Why they got that? Yeah, but you're not walking a mile in their shoes, are you? Everyone needs something beautiful to look at. They said, we don't judge because that leads to unwholesome talk and unwholesome thoughts as well. It is a key, I believe, to keeping our hearts sweet before the living God. Let's just take a moment to pray, and we're going to break bread. Am I a cheerleader? Am I saying positive things? Am I thankful? Is bitterness in my life? Do I need to extinguish it? And here's one thing as you're praying, I want to put this thought in your head. It doesn't matter whether you are a van driver, a nurse, a teacher, an engineer, rich or poor. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will set the culture by your humour, your language and your attitude. If you curse, people will curse around you. If you're sweary, people will be sweary around you. If your humour is filthy, People have filthy humour around you. You create the culture. Everyone will have their own line. It's before you and the living God to work it out. Not a policeman. Then you just follow what the Bible says. What is unwholesome to you. Or particularly, what you feel might be unwholesome for the people who are listening to you. Just unhelpful. So Father, we bring our lives before you. Help us to be a people of praise. Just think about one thing you might want to change this week. Or one thing you might want to do to make a difference in someone's life. Because here's the thing. The example is Jesus. Follow God's example therefore as dearly and loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We do it because God gave his life up for us.